Hello all and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzajamari, and today I am joined by... Your Mensa muscle man, Amelia. (laughs) I love it. So Amelia, you have something really interesting you want to talk to us about today? Yes, so I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately, and it is the fact that the American commute is up, and apparently it is up to 26.9 minutes as of 2018, um, up from 26.6 minutes in 2017, which doesn't sound like a lot, but apparently that extra 18-second increase um, added up to an extra two and a half hours per year that Americans spent on the road. So that's two and a half hours that you probably lost commuting to and from work in 2018. And that sucks. That's yeah, two that's, and a half hours that you could have spent doing something else. That's an insane amount of time. That's that's a movie. That's a me lounging around at home. That's so many things. Yeah. Actually, it's... Um, it, adds up to a lot of things that I'll get into in a second. But um, so things to consider are the number of people commuting an hour or more to work are up and the number of super commuters is up. So super commuters refers to people that commute over 90 minutes each way to Mm -hmm. work. And the term often refers to people who choose um, to make that long commute because they're taking advantage of high wages in one region combined with a low cost of living in another region. But today I just want to focus on people who are making that that commute more out of necessity than out of choice because good for those people for hacking the system, but that's not the case most of the time. When you say they're making that out of necessity and not a choice, you're saying that like, yeah, there's some people out there who they're probably commuting a little extra because they don't want to move and they know that they'll get like a salary that can justify the travel just at that 90 minutes of travel time each direction. Yeah. And I mean, I think... One thing to keep in mind is that, in in my experience at least, so we live in the greater D.C. area, mm-hmm. and rents in D.C., I've lived here for almost two years, and I feel like in the time that I have lived here, the rent has skyrocketed, and it's already crazy high. So when I was looking at housing here when I first moved up, I actually was close to being a super commuter. I was, I was commuting about an hour and 15 minutes each day. Um, to and from work. And that wasn't because I was like, oh, well, I'm making a lot of money and I can save by living in this apartment far away. The rent was literally unaffordable to mm-hmm. me in the city. Like I've never, I've actually never lived in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, for reference, I recently saw a studio, a studio apartment. That's like a bathroom and a room, like mm-hmm. not even a bedroom for rent for over $2,000 a month. That's insane. That should be illegal. There are lots of places in Arlington, especially closer to the metro areas, that a studio is at least $2,200 a month. My God, stop. Yeah, and it's the... So there's obviously a good and bad here when it comes to like some of the benefits you're going to get based on where you're living, how you're living, I guess. But I kind of wanted to... I don't want to detract from like kind of the flow you had going. So how does that... uh, in addition to the rent, how does all this kind of play out into the commuter space? Because more jobs are moving into cities, rent is becoming less affordable. And this the data supports this. So um, the longest travel times are associated with large metropolitan areas. I think D.C. has the third largest um, commute, longest commute times with New York being up there because there's people commuting in from the surrounding states. I mean, I guess we have that here, too. People commute in from Maryland and Virginia, but in 
in um and actually i've known people who commuted in from west virginia which is wow wild that's at least an hour of yeah, like I, in on good traffic yeah but people are, are commuting into new york from jersey and connecticut and mm-hmm. the far suburbs of mm-hmm. new york from white plains places i don't actually know the new york metro area very well but people are willing to make some long commutes for those high paying jobs that new york has to offer the, the higher commutes have been shown to be linked to higher rates of divorce obesity and death oh my god it's killing Uh, us it's literally your commute is literally killing you and like all of that makes sense to me because i mean if you leave work at 5 30 and you don't even get home till 7 and you're looking around and you're like well now i have to cook dinner now i have to do my laundry Mm -hmm. you're not gonna work out like you just spent 90 minutes commuting yeah and you probably spent half that time getting flustered at the person in front of you for just not moving fast enough and you're doing that to yourself every single day both ways yeah and i mean that's gonna raise your blood pressure like that's going to impact your health quite negatively what's also noteworthy is that when we're talking about commutes the vast 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 majority of americans are commuting via car still so Mm -hmm. i'm lucky enough to have and um we can we should describe our own commutes so i'm lucky enough to have a commute that is very physical and that my commute actually is exercise so i have a five minute bike ride to the metro, about a 20-minute ride on the metro, and then a 10-minute walk to work. So my commute, all told, is 35, which compared to a 90-minute commute is certainly not bad. Yeah, um, getting those steps in. Yeah, and I'm getting my steps in. So I can't, <laughs> I really can't complain, but that's very much not the case for most of America. Yeah, and then for me, um, in the morning, I'll wake up, I'll drop off your neural nutritionist at the metro, and then I fortunately go in the opposite direction of D.C., so I don't have to go... Uh, I, so I'm going, I guess, against the traffic, which is ideal. So uh, that's still on a good day is probably 30 minutes. And that's with all the traffic. Like that's if people are trying to go into the city, I'm going out of the city. And the amount of traffic in that direction is still bizarrely high, given that those people are for the most part coming from like the Maryland people should be coming from the north on 495. And... Other Maryland people coming across from the water would probably still want to take the beltway, but because of how tolls play a role into all this, they have to get funneled onto... I I usually take I-66 in the morning, and so that's part of where all this traffic nonsense happens is... And we can talk about tolls in a minute, but sorry, again, I want to stay on on track with... uh, yeah, because oh no, tolls tolls are actually so tolls actually play an interesting role, and I want to hear more about your experience with I sixty six because New York, as you may have heard in the news, is about to implement or is like has passed I think city legislation and is now exploring how they're actually going to implement congestion pricing. So congestion pricing would charge tolls for driving into certain parts of Manhattan, mm-hmm. trying to keep the congestion down, and mm-hmm. congestion pricing is something that was implemented in London. And the goal was to increase traffic speeds mm-hmm. in London. What's noteworthy, at least according to, I was listening to um, a podcast about the congestion pricing in London the other day with this um, specialist who had really like studied this. And I don't know if she was involved in the implementation of the policy, but was oh. very much in favor of it. What and, was the podcast? Um, it, was, it was on point. On and point, yeah, of course, was, is on point. NPR being bringing that strong, strong uh, they're game. Always, they're always on point, aren't they? Uh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they were talking about how, like, they were so emphatic and enthusiastic about the congestion pricing in London. And finally, the host asks, "Okay, well, did it increase traffic speeds in London?" 
No, it didn't. <laughs> what it did was, so at the same time London impl- implemented congestion pricing, they also implemented 300 new buses. So instead of having cars on the road going slow, there are oh. buses on the road going slow. And so I think really the solution there is, I, I mean, good on London for thinking of implementing um a, a public transit solution simultaneously with doing something to disincentivize incentivize driving. I don't have a whole lot of trust that American cities will do the same thing. Yeah, we're not great at keeping a big picture planning. Yeah, but I at the same time, it's like, so you literally didn't solve the issue. And I think as far, I think our sh- our focus needs to shift away from just putting more um, traffic on roads. So like focus our shift, our focus away from putting more buses and more bikes and more of these stupid scooters that I hate (laughs) on the, Oh, I hate the scooters, but the um, funniest thing in the world, just because of the amount of effort that goes into collecting them at night and then charging them and then putting them back out somewhere. Yeah. They're, they're annoying. And, um, I knock them over whenever I see them. Well, we have lots of good bike stations around DC. Yeah, we do. And I think I, I have nothing against bikes. I am a cyclist myself, but I think a longer term public transit solution gets us off the road entirely and invests in rail transit because mm-hmm. getting hopping on the metro, you're not going to hit traffic on the metro. You're on the metro. Yeah, but on the metro, and actually, wait, let's. I want to come back to the metro. Okay. Or do you want to talk about tolls and stuff? Let's first? talk about tolls while okay. we're talking about congestion so pricing. There's like three things that are actually happening that people always point to as being ways to improve traffic, but all they do is actually disenfranchise the less well off. So they are paying for tolls, paying for parking, and then um, how we treat the relationship between cyclists and drivers. So the first one is tolls. In D.C., we have very, uh, it's not fixed prices. Like typically when you think of tolls, you know that when I go on this road, it's probably going to be X number of dollars all day. In D.C., on I-66, depending on the direction you're going and the time of day, you might get tolled or you might not. So in the afternoons going into D.C. and in the morning, or in the afternoons um, going out of D.C. and in the mornings going into D.C., you will be tolled on I-66. And then I-495 has fluctuating tolls. And a lot of the times this kind of has to do with the amount of traffic. So they try to increase the tolls to reduce the amount of traffic. But all it really does is make it easier for people with more money to go on the toll road. So if I am not very well off and I and they're telling me that I'm going to have to pay literally like $20 to go a particular direction on a given day, wasn't the highest the 66 toll ever got $44 one day? Yeah, in one particular direction. I think it was like heading out of D.C. in the afternoon. Um, and again, I, I don't quote me on this, but that sounds right because there have been lots of complaints on different um, radio stations, citizens, all sorts of people talking about how tolls, while they are on paper designed to incentivize more people to reconsider driving, all they do is reconsider whether or not I can take that path. And so if I'm less well off, I'm not going to. And then the more well off people who can afford that $20 because of whatever reason, because you're getting that high paying job, they take it. The second is in New York, parking is free. And so a lot of congestion has actually been related not to the fact that it's like an economics 
confusion nightmare because you would think you have a scarce commodity, which is people want to be able to park in New York and they can't. Or I mean, every, every car is taking up a parking spot. So your solution would be you have to pay for parking so that more people are like, if I go to New York, I'm going to have to pay money to park, which a lot of people already do if they're going to store their car on the island, like particularly from Manhattan. But all of the boroughs, for the most part, offer free parking. This leads to traffic because, A, a lot of people are not disincentivized to go to New York because they know that they can park their car as long as they find a spot. And because they're trying to find a spot, a lot of cars are believed to actually just be circling on the street trying to find spots, adding to the traffic because they're just trying to find spot. And this in turn goes to affect the greater traffic issue when you're in New York's um, boroughs. And the last part is cyclists. The desire to help improve traffic means taking space away from cyclists on the roads. And what often happens is we find that that supply-demand trade-off, that's saying that as long as there's more space on the roads, more cars can go there. It turns out that cars will continue to just fill in that space because more people are going to be trying to go to those cities. What you need to do is prioritize cyclists. Sorry for that little tangent. No, no, no. That was really interesting. And actually, that reminds me of something else I heard on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me uh, last week that we're not supposed to call them cyclists anymore. We're supposed to call them people who cycle. No. <laughs> because it humanizes them and it makes people hate them less. <laughs> Listen, here's what I've discovered. If you're a pedestrian, you hate people in cars. If you're a driver, you hate pedestrians. But both of them hate, hate cyclists. cyclists. That's exactly. true. Whenever I'm not on a bike, I hate everyone that's on a bike. Exactly. But when I'm on a bike, I'm like, why does everyone hate me? And that's, I'm on my bike. Oh, God. And that's the thing, though. Is like we have lots of... That's the nice thing about DC. We have lots of cycling areas like mm -hmm. for the most part if i'm going almost anywhere if i can't follow a trail there are parts uh, there are cycling paths on the road mm -hmm. i can follow and then i gotta point out scooters are still a weird thing because they're not supposed to be on the sidewalk but they're not they're not supposed to be anywhere i i want them to mm -hmm. be nowhere people ride them on the sidewalk people ride them on the street I just don't want people to ride them. I hate the scooters. Like I, I, I get the scooters as someone who sweats very easily. Like, so if I have to bike to work, but then I get there and I'm sweaty and I have to change, then I'm going to be less keen to bike to work. But if I can just hop on the scooter and just like get to work and not be super sweaty, so I can just go into work and not worry about having to go to the showers, then yeah, I'm more inclined to want to take scooters. So I get that part. But the problem is like, they're so new and it's such a wild west of these scooter companies that like it's very hard to get everyone to agree about how scooters are supposed to work. And I can actually talk about a different thing having to do with commuting. Yes. And okay, so part of this problem actually is a problem that we see in any city that has a large, I think the term is a migratory population in that people are coming in and out of the city throughout different parts of the year for work travel business which means you have a lot of people who aren't used to how the city kind of flows oh god that's dc right right yeah. now during cherry blossom festival good lord exactly the tourists don't know how the metro works and then it's about to be hill turn season all the hill interns are going to be in the city in a month and it, yeah it's very migratory here and so you end up with the problem of specialization where over time you have learned how to properly navigate the metro system because you know how to do it, and the vast majority of people know how to do it, the metro system or bicycle paths or how you drive through the city becomes a learned skill that you specialize in. 
all these people are showing up not having that skill and because they don't know like, oh, you're supposed to go here. You're supposed to get a free left turn on a green light here. You're supposed to do this or that. They cause the rest of us who know these skills to slow down anyway. And they make us very angry. Exactly. When they stand on the left side of the metro like heathens. And yeah, and the escalators too. Just oh, the escalators. You're supposed to move to the right-hand side so that people can walk by. That's the honest truth, people. That's it. It's just that this specialized knowledge of how commuting is supposed to work is extra terrible in cities like Miami, D.C., and New York, places where lots of people are moving there, leaving, or moving, passing through. There is so many different people from different places who don't know how to treat the commuting, I guess, apparatus. And you mentioned, so when you mentioned um, the fact that a lot of the traffic in New York is just people circling, looking for parking, that reminded me that there's some debate over whether or not Uber and Lyft are contributing to that traffic or helping it. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's a really interesting debate because if you're taking an Uber or a Lyft, you don't have to park. Multiple people are taking the same car, so you're not driving. I would think that that would be beneficial in the long Mm -hmm. term. But there are people saying like, oh, these people are stopping in the middle of the road. They're like doing various things that are causing mm-hmm. more traffic. I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts? I, wait, who's interviewing who here? <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely would agree with you on all those points. I think something that is problematic of all this rideshare business models is the apps themselves incentivize you to not be near other drivers. So you can think of metropolitan areas like D.C. and New York having lots of taxis specifically so that you just walk out on the street, hail one and go. So there's a quick way to access taxis and they even have their own designated space. Some cities still don't know how to accommodate Ubers and Lyfts just like taxis. So they don't have this, I wouldn't even call it infrastructure, just like this consideration in place. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those Lyft and Uber drivers to get good money, they're incentivized to stay as far away from each other as possible so that if there are fewer people in your zone, you're in more demand because there's fewer cars. And so you're going to get paid more when people flag you down. So you would think it would be like, oh, lots of people typically want rides from here at this time, so I want to get cars to move there. That's not how they're incentivized. They're not incentivized to prioritize how the algorithm itself might think is the best way to get people to a car. And also, I guess, ultimately, Uber and Lyft aren't beholden to a city and beholden to making sure that congestion isn't an issue and beholden to making sure that the citizens of a city can effectively get to and from work in the way that a city itself is because they're a private company. And I guess one of the biggest questions here is who is ultimately responsible for making sure that people can get to and from work in cities because there's one particular company that I kind of want to pick on because they've also been accused of... um, contributing to higher traffic in cities because they have a lot of trucks out there delivering things and Mm -hmm. they also and i i don't want to call anybody out i don't want to name names but there's this company that is maybe the third or fourth wealthiest company in the whole world Mm -hmm. and they chose to build two of their headquarters in two cities after making cities in america compete for their attention it's really hard to figure out who you're talking about there's no idea i believe Um, their ceo is some sort of thumb (laughs) <laughs> a thumb in a tank top most of the time. Oh, or a thumb in his gross cargo shorts. <laughs> I respect I respect cargo shorts. That is a functional utilitarian. But not choice. when you're sexting. 
Oof. Okay. Okay. No, this is the wrong place for this. <laughs> but um, but no, they instead they had the opportunity to go to lots of American cities that were competing to host their headquarters, and instead of going into these cities because they wanted public transit near mm-hmm. their office, which is a fair thing for a company to want, but as the, like the third or fourth wealthiest company in the world, they could have built that in any city and instead they chose to set up their two headquarters one of them actually got um booted out of the city where it was supposed to be um the other one is unfortunately in my in our neck of the woods i'm Mm -hmm. not looking forward to their arrival they chose to build their headquarters in a city that taxpayers had already funded public transit and that's extremely frustrating because they're taking advantage of a resource that I myself as a taxpayer in Virginia have already paid for. Exactly. And by that, I mean, I paid taxes for, I think I actually had to pay back taxes for the first time this year. So I I haven't really contributed to the building of the DC. Listen, for every dollar you spend is another dollar. Someone who has to go deal with Boston Metro being on fire is getting paid. So you take every bit of credit. Thank you. You're welcome. WMATA employees. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think, Speaking of companies, I think that brings up an interesting question, which is there's a lot of debate over how companies are starting to understand who is really supposed to be paying for transit or even if they should be letting their employees commute at all. I was wondering, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I've always thought I I used to listen to this um, anarchist podcast where they would always pose like what would happen if we made employers pay for our commute. And I think that's a really interesting idea. My hope is that it would maybe incentivize companies to say, oh, if we're having to pay, if we're having to pay for people to make this commute and we have people working in a super congested city and people are are spending three hours a day commuting and we're then having to pay them three more hours each day, Maybe we should reconsider why we need an office in New York, D.C. or L.A. Maybe we could put an office anywhere else in the country. I don't know. So I that would be my hope. But I think there are a lot of ways you could look at that. Maybe they would actually pay people what it costs to live in these cities that they've decided to put their offices in. Or um, maybe they would reconsider whether people need to be in the office from nine to five. And there's also this other problem that always seems to happen where the companies, they want to be proactive and put in incentives for people to use commuter rail or whatever. So they'll like pay you X number of dollars a month to use commuter rail. So they'll just like, here is how much money we think a employee should get to use commuter rail based on where you are. While it's well-intentioned, it ends up just not being enough. I have two things to say about that. First of all, the DC Metro is crazy expensive for public transit, mm-hmm. and that is unacceptable. If you want to actually address congestion in a city, make it less than $6 to get to work on the Metro. Jesus, mm-hmm. it's not that hard. And um, I like, you could, there, there is that money somewhere. You could find it. Just, yeah. and like, I, the week I moved up to DC was the week that they, cut their service back. They're not the DC Metro for those of you who don't live around here does not run 24/7. It it's closes at like 11:30 or 1 depending on the day of the week, but like that that's crazy. That's basically that's also basically saying to like people, so I I work part-time at a bar that mm-hmm. um I I am off um at a time when I can still take the Metro, but a lot of our employees don't get off till 3 and um they cannot take the Metro home. So having 
the Metro not run 24 seven is basically saying to service industry employees, like we don't care about you, which they don't like WMATA does not care Mm -hmm. about the service industry at all. They, the DC Metro is designed to bring people into downtown from the Maryland and Virginia suburbs, bring them to their nine to five jobs that like, the federal government or whatever, mm-hmm. and then bring them back home. It does not run well on the weekends and it does not run well after hours because that is not the population it was designed to serve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that really needs to be addressed. Another thing that I've been thinking about, because I've been hearing a lot lately about how like we need to tax drivers more. We need to show people the real cost of driving because this is impacting climate change. And I mm-hmm. agree. Climate change is a huge problem and driving contributes to it a lot. But as far as showing people the real cost of driving... American policy has been in favor of driving over public transit for so long that that's just not, you're never going to sway public opinion on that. Yeah. I care deeply about climate change. Also, I am a single woman who drives an SUV and you will pry it out of my cold dead hands. Like I, <laughs> I need my SUV. How else am I going to move items around or go on road trips yeah, or I, I need a car that I could theoretically live in if things no, you're, go you're, south. You're, you're, I feel like your situation perfectly justifies the need for an SUV. There are a lot of other people I've seen driving around DC that I cannot understand why they need a Cadillac Escalade or anything of that size oh, in DC. Oof. <laughs> but I think, so DC actually has done a decent job in my case of making it convenient enough to take the metro and inconvenient enough to take my car mm-hmm. but policy measures that just make it inconvenient to drive and don't make it convenient to use public transit are just going to piss people off are just going to take money away from lower middle class people and are not going to incentivize people to make to take public transit and i think it's still going to we're still years out from america um shifting more towards putting actual money into public transit. Because another thing that people always say about systems like metros is that the amount of money that you put into building a metro, you never make it back in ticket sales, Mm -hmm. which is true. But you make it back in people being able to get to work. You make it back in um, people... You're you're investing in the health of your citizens. Right, you are. And as a a person with a master's degree in public health, I know America is not invested in that (laughs) at all. I know this has been kind of a wild, fun ranting downer of an episode, but are there any solutions, any things that we either at the policy levels or as individuals or anywhere along that totem pole can do to make our lives a little easier from a commuting standpoint? I think one thing that's good is that a lot of apps like Waze and Uber, I know, Mm -hmm. um, are promoting carpooling programs. I think Mm -hmm. carpooling is something we need to look into. Mm -hmm. Um, I think cycling when you can um i'm so i'm from new orleans new orleans has actually done a lot in recent years to build up its cycling infrastructure Mm -hmm. um i'd love to see it's interesting to explore public transit in the south too because it's like it's laid out different yeah it's laid out differently in places like the gulf south you literally can't build an underground metro because underground is water yeah Yeah, you'll have a really cool underground swimming pool and there's kind of a stigma against um public transit in the south and um Spoiler alert, racism is involved in that. So. Yeah, there's been lots of... If you look through the history of the South, I know that a lot of different light rail solutions haven't gotten the same adoption based on yeah. the area they were to be implemented in. Right. So um, Dallas, the DART is decent in my experience, but mm-hmm. and I don't know about Atlanta. 
Atlanta inside the city, I remember being fairly good when I went there years ago for different competitions and uh, conferences. Yeah. And in New Orleans, if you live close to the streetcar and work downtown, you can take the streetcar to work. So there there are options. I'd love to see those built out more. But I think exploring um, improving cycling systems, carpooling, and public transit, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping or something that we as American communities can get invested in more. But another thing that I'm going to kick it back to you to talk about a little bit more is um, what if people didn't have to commute at all? Yeah, so a crazy new trend that seems to be taking over most companies is that they're realizing with the ability to work online and have employees online, the desire to have employees basically work from home or telecommute as often as possible helps companies twofold. One is your employees are just going to be able to spend more time, quote unquote, at work because they don't have to get in late to work. They literally just have to log on from their computer. They don't have to worry about if they need to leave in the middle of the day or whatever. A lot of the times we like to live closer to the things that are important to us. Like you might try to live closer to your kid's school, but you might not end up living as close to your work. So the ability to telecommute saves you a lot of trouble in that you can work. Then on your lunch break, you can go take care of things and come back because you're not having to go to work and spend at least one to three hours a day doing that commute. You're spending that time being able to log on, have more free time. And then the second benefit is obviously you are have happier, healthier employees who are able to do better work and are going to be in more in favor of their job because you're doing them the service. And some companies are debating whether or not it makes sense to actually even pay for employees to have their internet. When you telecommute, you have the second benefit of, depending on how demanding your job is, you can work from literally anywhere in the world. So we're seeing a lot of people who don't want to live near D.C. or urban centers moving towards the suburbs or towards completely sparse parts of the country where there are very small towns or very small communities because that is more in line with the values that they hold. But those communities obviously might not be the same places where these large tech companies exist. And so now I can go work in middle of nowhere, Arkansas, find a community that I agree with, but still be able to have a job that lets me do what I love or makes sense for me um, financially. Middle of nowhere, Arkansas, where I went to college. <laughs> I love you, middle of nowhere, yeah, Arkansas. I thought you'd appreciate that little shout oh, out. Th- yeah, I did. I did. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to give a, a little teaser where it was from or is it we just going to leave it at middle of nowhere? <laughs> um, Conway, Arkansas. I went to Hendricks College for the two other people that went there here's a shout out to you guys <laughs> it's like a little parentheses under the welcome sign that says middle of nowhere yeah that's that's how i introduce where i went to college is i went to hendrix and it's in the middle of nowhere in arkansas and you've never heard of it i'm, I'm glad you went there because this has definitely sparked some fantastic discussion and i think this is a good place to end it um yeah. do you have anything that you want to plug any personal social media or any of your own projects um you can follow me on instagram at the public's health. You might want to spell that. Is it T H E P U B L I C S H E A L T H? Just checking. Yeah. And because when I hear Publix, I think P U B L I S. Yes, because you're from Florida. Yes, because I have been exposed to the greatest thing on the planet. And we as should for do the, a whole episode about Publix. We in should. The future. And I really do hope to have you back on. This has been an absolutely oh, I would fantastic love to join. episode. As for us on Swing the Small Stuff, I have been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzard-Jamari, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Small Stuff Show. 
please do let us know if you are sweating any small stuff with hashtag small stuff show or email us at small stuff show at gmail.com. And remember from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. Have fun? Yes, I had fun. <laughs> nice.